Now, folks, uh, for those who have not been here or have been here, but have been here when I'm not here or when I am here, whatever it is, we're in Zechariah chapter 8. We get, we, Carl and I are going back and forth. Um, I, I told Carl that uh, I've uh, come to a, a conclusion that I'm not going to take a long book like this again. I want to take a little short things. And uh, so that it'll be easier to do that when we go back and forth, because I had never done this. For 25 years, I could preach right through a book and had no issue. But I'm going to take shorter things. I've already picked out what it's going to be, and it's actually um, uh, in, a, in the New Testament, so you can look forward to that. And so here we are in Zechariah chapter 8. I, I got to tell you, folks, I, I read this, and then I'm reading my Bible during the week, and I get excited. I mean, I get excited because I see God working all the time, and, and, and I get goosebumps just thinking about how he's working in people's lives, number one, how he's working in my own life, number two, and then how he works in the lives of those who he's chosen. Um, and, and so I just want you to know, I, that's just one of those exciting things. And So now we're going to be speaking of God here today. That's what we're going to be talking about. And I believe, uh, folks, that the English language is quite inadequate to pr- try to exclaim or explain or to describe our God. I think he's quite inadequate. As a matter of fact, all languages, and I know many of you know all their languages, they're all inadequate to try to explain who he is, to, uh, to describe him. The revelation that we have before us certainly gives us a picture, an explanation, but it's not complete it's not complete. Uh, he gives us an idea of who he is, of what he can do, but it's not complete. There is so much more about God, so much more that we don't know, so much magnificence, so much awesomeness, so much that is incomprehensible. Classic Christian theology on the doctrine of God, speaks of, to his absoluteness. Uh, it speaks to God's absoluteness of his being, of his existence, of his activity. Friends, nothing caused God. He always was. I, I, just try to wrap your head around that alone. He always was. The Almighty was not derived from anything. But listen to this, God cannot. Yeah, there is something that God cannot do. He cannot increase and he cannot decrease. He is the same forever. God will never alter in his purposes as they are infinite purposes in all their fullness. That's how big God is. If he has a purpose that he set out in the Old Testament, it is forever. It is forever. God will never be subject to change and his purposes are complete in their goodness. God in no way is obligated to man. He doesn't have to give you what you want. You know, when you go before him in prayer and and start pulling the slot, God, I need this, I need this, I need this, I need this. He's not obligated to give you any of that. When we're looking at this study of the prophecy of Zechariah, the manner that God is dealing with his people here in the Old Testament is really his eternal being. This is how he's going to deal with us as well. Yahweh has not changed. 
and will deal with his people forever as he does here. Now, some people would say, oh, but the Old Testament is law, and now we're in grace. I, yeah, I understand that. He was also grace in the Old Testament. How many times he gave them grace, and how many times he offered that to them. Friends, the message of chapter 8 is really on the faithfulness of God to his promises for his Old Testament people. I want you to stop. I want you to think about this for a while. In looking at this, I want you to think currently about God's faithfulness in your life today. I had a conversation just before the class started. Hearing God's faithfulness, this man was just telling me over and over again of God's faithfulness in his life. Now, I can see some of the lights are going on there, folks. Thank you. See how he, that is God, blesses and increases in your life every day. As you walk faithfully with him, he blesses and he increases in your life every single day. Apply the grace and the mercy that God extends to the Old Testament Jew here that we're going to read about to the New Testament believer. As a matter of fact, why don't you make it more personal to you? To you, because that's what he does. He applies that grace and mercy to you as well. We are rich, folks, beyond comprehension because of the faithfulness of God. You don't need to turn there, but you may want to jot it down. Deuteronomy 7, 9, it says this. Know therefore that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God, who keeps his covenant and his loving kindness, listen to this, <laughs> to a thousandth generation with those who love him and keep his commandments. A thousandth generation to those who love him and keep his commandments. That sounds like forever to me, folks. God never fails. He does not forget. He will not forget. If he says something, he will follow through on his promises. His word and his promises are true forever. Knowing the faithfulness of God should give us as New Testament believers confidence in him. Did you hear that? I want you to have confidence in him. God is faithful in what he gives as well as in what he withholds from his people because he does both. He gives and he withholds. Whether God is giving sorrow or he's giving joy, he is still faithful in all his doings. We have to wrap our mind, our brain, and our heart around that. Zechariah in chapter 8 is wanting to encourage. He's wanting to exhort the people of God here, the people that are, he is speaking to specifically toward restoration, to keep building the temple, keep building the wall, keep doing these things, that they would be encouraged in the work. Well, folks, it's no different today. We may not be building walls. We may not be building temples but we need to be encouraged in the work of the Lord today in each of our lives, in each of the lives of the people that we have a, an effect upon, whether it be your parents who aren't believers or your children who aren't believers, whether it be friends or relatives or co-workers or whatever. That's where we have an effect, and that's what you're building for the future. And that's what he's encouraging these folks to do. 
He's wanting them to take on the building of the temple and the building of their society. And he does this by exposing them. Listen to what he's doing. Exposing his chosen people to his own character. Every time you see God at work in your life, I hope you're excited. I know I am. I hope you're excited about seeing God working in your life, even for the little things. And I, and I don't mean for the parking space during the Christmas time and the, up near the front of the store, okay? But the, the, the faithful things that you see over and over him doing in your life, his faithfulness to them as displayed in, in the many, and, and there are here many, ministering messages he gives to his people here in Zechariah chapter 8. Verses 1 through 23. I'm going to ask you to do something we have never, at least to my knowledge or remembrance, done this. But I'd like to read the scripture, but I'd like us all to stand. Zechariah chapter 8. I'm going to read the whole chapter. Zechariah chapter 8. Then the word of the Lord of hosts came, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts. I am exceedingly jealous for Zion. Yes, with great wrath, I am zealous for her. Thus says the Lord, I will return to Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Then Jerusalem will be called the city of truth and the mountain of the Lord of hosts will be called the holy mountain. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Old men and old women will again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each man with his staff in his hand because of age. And the streets of the city will be filled with boys and girls playing in the streets. Thus says the Lord of hosts, if it is too difficult in the sight of the remnant of the people in those days, will it also be too difficult in my sight, declares the Lord of hosts? Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I am going to save my people from the land of the east and from the land of the west, and I will bring them back, and they will live in the midst of Jerusalem, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God in truth and righteousness. Thus says the Lord of hosts, let your hand be strong, you who are listening in these days to these words from the mouth of the prophets, those who spoke in the days that the foundation of the house of the Lord of hosts was laid, to the end that the temple might be built. For before these days there was no wage for man or wage for animal, and for him who went out or who, him who came in, there was no peace because of his enemies." And I said, all men one against another. But now I will not treat the remnant of the people as in the former days, declares the Lord of hosts. For there will be peace for the seed, the vine, which will yield its fruit. The land will yield its produce and the heavens will give their due. And I will cause the remnant of this people to inherit all these things. Verse 13 will come about that just as you were a curse among the nations, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so I will save you that you may become a blessing. Do not fear. Let your hands be strong. For thus says the Lord of hosts, just as I purposed to do harm to you when your fathers provoked me to wrath, says the Lord of hosts, and I have not relented. So I have again purposed in these days to do good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Do not fear. 
These are the things which you should do. Speak the truth to one another. Judge with truth and judgment for peace in, in your gates. And let none of you devise evil in your hearts against another. And do not love perjury, for all these are what I hate, declares the Lord. Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the fast of the fourth, the fast of the fifth, the fast of the seventh, the fast of the tenth months will become joy, gladness, and cheerful feast for the house of Judah. So love truth and peace. Thus says the Lord of hosts, it will yet be that peoples will come, even the inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one will go to another saying, let us go at once to entreat the favor of the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I will also go. So many peoples and mighty nations will come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord. Verse 23. Thus says the Lord of hosts, in those days, 10 men, 10 men from all the nations will grasp the garment of a Jew saying, let us go with you for we have heard that God is with us, is with you. You may sit down. I don't know about you, but that's profound. There are some things in there that need to be uncovered and and to be explained and, and to be talked about, but These words are absolutely incredible, profound words from our God talking about himself, giving a picture of his character, giving a picture of who he is, what he's going to do. And if he says it, he's going to do it. His faithfulness is incredible. We're going to be presented with resounding and resonant messages, folks, from this prophet. And I hope that it fortifies your heart. I hope that it brings to your heart, you know what? This is a God that I can trust. This is an incredible God that I can trust. The first message, folks, is found in verses one and two. We see in verse one, it says, then the Lord of the hosts uh, came saying, uh, this is often used formula. This is a formula that Zechariah uses, but actually it's Yahweh speaking to Zechariah, giving him those words because Zechariah needs to put weight on those words. These are not just, you know, you and I talking. This is God speaking. He's speaking through this man. And so he needs to bring some weight to those words. He needs to bring some honor to those words. And he wants it to reach into the hearts and to the minds of the people that are being spoken to. He wants those hearers to reflect and to to listen to it. This first message that Zechariah transmits for us is about God's love. It's about God's love. Verse two, thus said the Lord of hosts, 10 times he uses that phrase. That 10 times, you had to have heard me repeat that over and over again. 10 times this phrase was repeated in those 23 verses there. I believe the Almighty was trying to make a point. You know, he has to say it once and then it's real, but he says it 10 times. Whoa, you better be listening. He was speaking and he was making commitment to these promises. That's what he was doing. The commitment carries with it the idea that they will be brought to completion. The way it's written gives us that idea. The point of this instruction is to place it in the heart and in the mind of all of us. We have an 
infinite, eternal, faithful God of the universe. And he's going to bring these things to pass. I don't know how that's going to happen, but I know it's going to happen. But he's going to do it. Verse 2, thus says the Lord of hosts, I am exceedingly jealous. Exceedingly jealous. This God who doesn't change, Yahweh repeats the thought in this verse. He says this, yes, with great wrath, I am jealous for her. Speaking of Israel, speaking of Judah and Israel, he's speaking of them, his people. The mood changes from chapter 7. If you go back to chapter 7, if you were here when we were looking at chapter 7, you saw that there was rebuke there. We saw that there was punishment there because of them not being obedient. We saw that. We heard that. It was over and over because of their disobedience, there was going to be punishment. You remember, I think the last message, maybe it was the next to last message, I don't remember, that I kept bringing up the obedience brings happiness, disobedience brings consequence. That's what was going on in chapter 7. He's not there now. Today is about God. Today is about trusting in the Lord for all things, at all times, in all situations, in all circumstances. You can trust him because what he says he's going to do. Now the messages of the glorious future for the followers of Yahweh, they are promised a glorious future. There's something to look forward to. If, if you were there building that temple and you knew that, that God was going to do this and he was going to come among you, you would want to make sure that that temple got done as quickly as possible. There is now a jealous love. You know what? You can put it this way. It's a protective love for his people. You know, when you go back, you look at Deuteronomy chapter 7, you see all the nations there, the Gergesites, the Amalekites, you see all these ites. There's only one ite left, the Israelite. The only one. Friends, this is a picture of the love that God has for these people. And you know what? If our God doesn't change, he also has it for his New Testament believer as well. He loved us so much that he sent his only begotten son for us. So remember that. That's who he is. There is a love that is perfect. And there is a love of God that is a love that is intense love. I know we have a couple here who just got married. They have this intense love right now. For those of you who have been married for 40 years, is that as intense as then it was in the beginning? His doesn't change. His doesn't change because of the circumstance. His love is still there. It's still honorable. This love is a burning love. It's a passionate love. It is a caring love. And it's not a love that's just words only, but it's found in action as well. The passage says, with great wrath, I am jealous for her. This could be said this way, folks. With great heat, burning heat, I am jealous for her. I mean, consuming. I mean, this is our God. He's excited about this, these people. It shows intensity of divine commitment for his chosen people. This was a fierce love for his people. This is a furious love for his people. And this furious love was to motivate 
them. God loves them, and he acts for them. So that's the first message to them, is God's love, that it's a perpetual love, that it's, it's a, a, a burning love for them, that it's a caring love for them, and it doesn't stop. It doesn't linger. It doesn't, it doesn't lessen in any way. The second message to God's people is found in verse 3. Let me read that. Thus says the Lord, I will return to Zion and will dwell in the midst of the Jerusalem. Then Jerusalem will be called the city of truth and the mountain of the Lord of hosts will be called the holy mountain. Wow. The second message to God's people is found there in verse 3. This is the message of God's being, okay? May I call it this way? It's God's omnipresence, that he is there. This is the being of God. He is always with them. Thus says the Lord of Yahweh, thus says the Lord or Yahweh, I will return to Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Zion is used to denote Jerusalem as the place where the Lord will, where the he desired to dwell. And I will return. Now, folks, in the Hebrew language, they have something called a prophetic perfect. Okay, now I don't want to get you into, you know, trying to figure out all of those things, but a prophetic perfect. It means it will happen. It's as if it did happen. And he says this, and it could be said this way, instead of I will return, I am returned. I've already done it. I've said it. It's going to happen. Then Jerusalem will be called the city of truth, and the mountain of the Lord of hosts will be called the holy mountain. When it says, I am returned, it has not actually happened, but it will happen. He's communicating that this is about to happen or going to happen. Frankly, Jerusalem can only be called the holy mountain when God takes up residence. Jerusalem's called the holy city today. When we go on our tours there, it's called the holy city. Um, it's not really holy. It's not really holy. Now, I want you to be encouraged, folks. Why do I want you to be encouraged? Because these people here are being told that God is going to live among them. God is promising to live in their heart, in the heart of the nation, in Zion. Folks, do you know that your God already lives in you? He's already taken up residence in you. You have it even better because it doesn't matter where you go. The Holy Spirit is present, present with you. This is even better, the grace of God giving that Holy Spirit to you. But they're being told this. They're being told this why? Because they, God wants them to be excited about it. Excited to now work even harder in their putting that city together. together. The city will be called the city of truth and the holy mountain. Now, folks, this is not like Los Angeles being called the city of angels. The city of angels is really the city of fallen angels. 
for sure. The word for truth here could be translated faithful. So it's the city of faithful, the city of trustworthiness, dependability, of reliability. I got to tell you, folks, I want to move there. Because we don't live in a place where it's reliable, is it? Friday night, tried to get somewhere to be there at 6 o'clock, left at 4.40, 4.30. We didn't even make it to the free, freeway. It took us an hour to get to the freeway. We, we're, no way were we going to be able to be where we wanted to be. We had a fire on one freeway where something blew up, and then on the other freeway, they had something turn over, and you couldn't move. I want a place of reliability. I want to, I want to be in a place where my taxes actually make a difference. <laughs> And that's where God is going to be, and we are going to be. I love what John Calvin said about this passage. He said, God is never idle while he dwells in his people, for he cleanses away every kind of impurity, every kind of deceit, that where he dwells, he may never be a holy place. Folks, that's what he's doing in your life today. He does not want you to go down the road of sin too far. He's going to yank you back. He's going to bring that conscience that you have already in you to tell you, you know, what you're doing is wrong. Come back. He loves you that much. He cares for you that much. Beloved, something to take note of. Zechariah uses that prophetic purpose, which uh, uh, prophetic, perfect tense that the verbs here are completed action. I want to make sure you understand that. Those things are certain to occur. The holy mountain here, uh, the, the city does not tolerate the profane and the common. It does not tolerate the profane and the common, for it is the mountain of God. And folks, this is the only zip code you want to live in. The third message the third message to God's people is that there will be peace and security. This is in that holy city, in that mountain. The times that we have visited Israel, you wouldn't know that that city was under peace. Remember, you'd see school children going out on a walk somewhere. They had a guard in the beginning, in the front of the line of the school children, and he's carrying an Uzi machine gun. Then you'd see another guard somewhere in the middle there, and it could be a shotgun. And then you'd see a guard at the end of the group of children, and they have another Uzi machine gun. That's not a place of peace and security. Here in Zechariah 4 and 5 tells us a special story. It's something that we have to take a look at a little bit deeper. Let's look at it first. Let's read it. Thus says the Lord of hosts, old men and old women will again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each man with his staff in his hand because of his age, and the streets of the city will be filled with boys and girls playing in the streets. It's trying to give you a picture here. The picture is of peace and security. When there's strife in society, who are the first people to go? The old people. The first people to go. The elderly die off. The the children, they're afraid to let them out in the street. And matter of fact, if there's a war going on, they're the first to perish. 
since they are the weakest in society, they won't be seen. But here in Zechariah, it's a different story. Zechariah is telling us the old and the young will be able to enjoy the outdoors. The old man is able to stand there with his staff or sit there with his staff, and, and the old lady is able to do that. And they do that in safety and not in fear. Remember years ago, visiting Donna's grandmother down by uh, in uh, Perry Avenue in New York City. Okay, you would think, oh, this you can't go out there. Yeah. These old ladies are sitting out there, you know, getting some sun and talking, and they're out there every single day. They have nothing to worry about because there was nothing going on. Today, you can't do that. Today, you can't do that. You can't do that in the streets. We move out here to California. We don't let our children play in the streets because we can't trust them in the streets. And some of you would be saying that the same of your own neighborhoods. You can't trust them. But here, Zechariah gives us a picture. The children are able to play in the streets. The old people are able to be there. The old and the young. They don't have to worry about hoodlums or crooks or people that are going to take advantage of them. The old men live and they keep living because there isn't something that's going to kill them in battle. Someone said, God will not dwell in Jerusalem until the streets are fit for its children. Someone once said that, that the streets are fit for its children, but by the same token, he will not come until its children are fit for its streets. You have to look at it from both sides. Let's look at uh, verse six. This is the fourth of the messages that Zechariah is giving. Is there anything that God cannot accomplish? That's the question here. Is there anything that he cannot accomplish? This is his omnipotence, his power. Let's read verse six. It says, thus says the Lord of hosts, it is, if it is too difficult in the sight of the remnant of this people in those days, will it also be too difficult for my sight? Declares the Lord of hosts. So it's too difficult for you. Is it too difficult for me? God says, just because it seemingly is out of your reach, out of the reach of the Jew here, it's not too difficult for God. Way of way for Israel is to be able, and may I say it this way, it to believe that God could do it. Numbers chapter 13. You have 12 spies being sent into the land. They're supposed to go in and give a report. Ten of them go in and they come out and they say, oh, these are big people and they got tall walls and they got this and they got that. Two of them come out, Joshua and Caleb, and they said, oh, God said it's ours. We just got to go take it. See, that's the difference, folks. Do you depend upon him and believe him all the time? That's where we see God's incredible power. And so we need to look at the character of God even more clearly. Would you do me a favor? Would you turn to Jeremiah 32, verse 27? While you're doing that, I just want you to hear Luke 18, 27. 
Okay, so we get the 27s going. This is Luke 18, 27. Jesus said this, the things that are possible with people, the things that are impossible with people are possible with God. Uh, that's Luke 18, 27. We're going to go eventually to Jeremiah 20, 32. And in Jeremiah chapter 32, we have the Lord rebuking the Jewish people. Uh, they've, uh, they've heard these things before. They'll hear them very often in the Old Testament. But starting in verse 26, then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh, is anything too difficult for me? What do you think about that? Is anything too difficult for you? For him? I, I had somebody want to pick up their roots and move over to Germany because their mother and father are getting older and they wanted them to come to the Lord. I said, can't the Lord save them anyway? Over there in Germany? I mean, because it would upset their whole life here and upset their ministry here. Can't God do that over there? Is, he, is his arm too short that he can't reach there? I, I, don't, I don't understand that. He could change lives there. And I said, why don't you take a look and see where our EBTC is in Germany and see if there's any churches that they've put together and are in the area that they could even go and call on them. Oh, I never thought of that. Our God can do anything he wants to do, folks. He can save whomever he wants to save. Friends, it's not too difficult for God. It may seem like an impossible situation as you face it. You find this. Somebody told me of an impossible situation this morning, and I heard it, and I went, you got to be kidding me. This fits in with my message. We have a creator God, a saving God. And so he can take care of the little things in between, even some of those things that we think are big in between. Mark 10, 27 says this, all things are possible with God. You know the story of Job. We're all very familiar with the story of Job. Here he is, the most righteous man, and, and, and the devil comes and says, you know, he wouldn't stay that way at the end of his life, Lord, if, you, uh, if I put him under pressure. Well, he put him under pressure. He goes through this thing. He gets some really terrible counselors, okay? I admit, there are some terrible counselors out there. They were terrible counselors. But at the end of his life... He makes this confession in Job 24, uh, 42. Turn there with me, Job 42. He gives this confession at the end. And he says this, Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Can you imagine that? After all those things that he had to go through, losing his his uh, belongings, his uh, children, all of that kind of stuff, his house, and it gets uh, boils on him. I know that you can do all things. Folks, don't be like Job. Don't be like Job. Remember, your God is in control of all of those issues that come into your life. You know, I, I'm uh, on the other end of it sometimes. Because I'm counseling people with those issues. 
And it's hard for me sometimes to say this to people, that God is in the midst of this. God brought this about for your good. Because then I can see their eyes start to look crossway at me and go, I don't like this guy. I don't like what I'm hearing. But that's exactly what God says over and over and over again. I can take care of these things. And I say to those folks that those problems that you have, those situations that you're living through have been brought about by God to get you in this office to hear this message. Captive audience. Folks, listen to what God's saying to you in your life. See those things happen and know that he is still king of kings. You see, even Job's confession is really a clue that God has not changed and will not change. He is almighty and he will take care of his people. Okay, so so far, we've seen God's love. We've seen God's presence or being. We've seen God's peace uh, and security. We've seen God's omnipotence, his power. Now, verses seven and eight, we see and we will discover God's plan. This is the fifth message that I want to bring to you today. We see that in verses seven and eight. Let me read that so we have a Uh, our minds around it. Thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, I am going to save my people from the land of the east and from the land of the west. And I will bring them back and they will live in the midst of Jerusalem and they shall be my people and I will be their God in truth and righteousness. God is faithful. He's going to hold to his covenant promises and he's going to work miracles to make these things happen. He is exceedingly abundant in his love toward us. God has promised to bring his people home for them to return to his land. We're going to find out later in verse 23 that there'll be others who want to drag along with them. They will want to come along with them back to the land of promise. They've been scattered. He's going to bring them back. They haven't been brought back yet, folks. Even what the Jewish nation is doing now, and I don't know if you know it, but they're taking Jews from anywhere in the world, whether it be in Russia when the Soviet Union opened up, they brought them over to to Israel, or uh, Ethiopia, there was a a group of Jews there, they brought them over to to Israel. They're they're doing that all over the world, trying to get them to come back. That's not, that's, maybe God is using that, I don't know. But that's not the end of the promise because it's going to be incredible what happens. The text of Scripture here is telling us that all true Israel will return someday and they'll take up residence in the land of promise just as God had intended. It says that it's from the east and from the west far. That's where he's going to do. And I think of Psalm 103, you know, our sins are forgiven as far as the east is from the west. It means as far as you can go, everywhere. He's going to bring them back. The end of verse eight. Let's look at verse seven and eight. Verse eight I will bring them back, 
they will live in the midst of Jerusalem and they shall be my people and I will be their God in truth and righteousness. I will be their God in truth and righteousness. God is a God of truth, folks. Doesn't matter where it is, when it is, it's supposed to be a God of truth. The word here for truth, again, could be the word faithful. It's perfect faithfulness. And that's what we need to see about our God. He is perfectly faithful in all things. This year, we've celebrated the 50 years of faithfulness by John MacArthur. My goodness, that's wonderful. God has been infinitely faithful. Infinitely faithful. It doesn't break at any point. Now, folks, what I've done today is give you what the Old Testament has to say. What I'd like to do for the last few minutes left is to have some takeaways for you, New Testament believers. Here's the first takeaway, God's love. That was in verse two. Since God loves us enough to send his son for us, how do you view your negative circumstances? Think about it. Are they really negative circumstances? Or are they positive circumstances that God is wanting you to take care of something? Hmm. I mean, I can think of a myriad of different things. I have no friends. Okay? Somebody could say that to me. Bill, I have no friends. Well, maybe there's a reason that you have no friends. Okay? Oh. I made an investment. I have no more money. because Well, maybe there's a reason for that because you were greedy and wanted to make some money. There's all kinds of reasons for things. Why don't you look at it biblically? That's what you have to do. Do I see God's love in all of those things that are not positive for me? That's what you have to do. We've had some situations even recently in our own family. Couldn't fly somewhere because of, of illness and it missed out on something. No, God is teaching us something. God is using that. Draw close to him. Draw close to him. So that's God's love. Number two, God's being is omnipresence. God is near. It even says in Philippians 4, 5, God is near. Ephesians, I think of Ephesians 1.13. It says, in him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. And that Holy Spirit of promise is in you if you're a believer. Do you believe that? If he is yours, he's not going to leave you or forsake you. He has been sealed in you. So that's something else I want you to take away. God's love, God's being, God's peace. Do you know that God protects his people? He covers his people? You know, as a salesman, when I first got saved, I was driving all over the Southern California, flying here, flying there. And, and every time I, I get to a, an accident, you know, on our famous freeways here, I always said, oh, that's why I stayed a little bit later at the last customer. I mean, because God didn't want me in that accident. Thank you, Lord. Oh, you got in the accident. <laughs> okay, because some of us do get in accidents. Okay, thank you, Lord. You wanted me to go through this. How do I respond to it? 
You see, his banner is over us. I remember singing that song in children's ministry, his banner over us. And he'll never leave us and he'll never forsake us. That's the kind of peace we need to have, no matter what the circumstance is. God's power. It, he's omnipotent. I, I love 2 Corinthians 9, 8. If anybody's ever taken a counseling class, they've heard me say that probably 10 million times. But 2 Corinthians 9, 8, and it says there, God is able, okay, that's one superlative, to make all grace, or I'm sorry, there's one superlative. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. He gives you that. He gives you that. You have all of that. So, you've been tempted with the most wicked sin that you could ever be tempted with. Here's the sin that you've been tempted with, and all of you have been. Well, you have to be married. To not forgive your spouse. I'm not going to forgive him. I'm not going to ask him for forgiveness. Maybe it's somebody else. Maybe it's a friend. You are not going to do it. You're digging your heels in, and you're angry with them. And you're not going to bring peace. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you such as is common to man. And God is faithful. That's the word that was used in here. God is faithful and he'll make a way through it. He'll make a way through it. Why do you want to give an excuse? Well, they did that first. No, step up. Step up. God's power is incredible. And he will make a way through your sin and even help to work through the issue. That's number four. Number five, God's plan. God does have a plan, folks, for each of us that know him. For each of us that know him, he has a plan. It says in Philippians 1.6, for I am confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will complete it in the day of Christ Jesus. Ah. So if you are a work of God and you are walking with him, he's going to complete it. He's going to continue to do that. And he's going to continue to bring situations so that you will grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. Folks, we've been given incredible promises from God. So were the Jews given promises. That's your land. Go in there, take it. But continue to worship me. That's no different today. Continue to worship Yahweh. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for your love and your incredible mercy of our souls, Lord God. Father, as we think about all that you have given to us, which is abounding, we ask, Lord God, that you continue to work in us to will and to work your good pleasure. 
that you would form in us, as it says in Galatians 4.19, Christ Jesus, in whose name I pray, amen.